0: supply chain theory and practice come together in this academic and industry trailblazer and champion of diversity. Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, editor-in-chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain podcast. Without question, Dr. Lisa Williams is both an industry thought leader and business entrepreneur. But she's a lot more than that. She's the first African-American to earn a doctorate in logistics from The Ohio State University, first female professor to receive a multi-million dollar endowed chair, and first African-American professor to be granted tenure at Penn State University. But she left it all behind to start her own business, The World of Entertainment, Publishing, and Inspiration, or World of EPI, the largest black-owned multicultural doll company. Today we'll talk about all of her accomplishments, as well as her challenges in launching a business from scratch with no on-the-ground experience and keeping it thriving through the pandemic. Finally, we'll hear her views on how we can achieve true diversity in supply chain career opportunities. Here's my conversation with Dr. Lisa Williams. Dr. Lisa Williams, welcome to the show. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for being with me today. What's going on in the toy industry right now? How are you holding up with all the problems out there and supply chain and the like?
1: Actually, we're doing quite well, but there are several challenges, and we are learning to adapt in this new environment. And so because of that, things are actually going pretty well for us.
0: Any supply issues that you're having in terms of materials or on the other end, getting the stuff sold?
1: Oh, absolutely. I didn't say we we didn't have problems with materials.
0: Ah, okay.
1: Yes, we do have problems with shortage of supply, delay in terms of supply, just overall issues with warehousing and trying to find enough space.
0: How are you overcoming those problems? Or are you just sort of suffering through them? What can you do? (laughs) A
1: a little of both, actually. Mm So one of the things that we're doing is the majority of our factories are located in Asia. However, we have found some other suppliers that are a little closer to us, and that is helping to eliminate some of the supply Uh backlog because it's closer, and so it takes less time for the product to get to us. We have expanded our warehouse space, and we've actually increased the number of warehouses we have, and that helps with some of the storage and fulfillment.
0: Did you kind of see the writing on the wall? Everybody was saying that there were going to be problems late in the year and that a lot of people were ordering early and, in fact, shopping early, too. Were you able to do that at all? Were you able to stock up on inventory in advance, knowing that trouble was ahead? Oh, yes. We
1: did stock up on some inventory, and we planned to ship a lot earlier, and that has helped us.
0: The stuff comes in from Asia on a boat, right, on a ship? Yes, it does. And we all know what 's happening with ships, so I guess yes. that's a big problem, but as you say you're you're diversifying your supply that 's a, a good move like other what other parts of the world are candidates now are working for you.
1: Well, we actually have some in Colombia, and we 're looking at some in Canada as well
0: so some creative solutions out there i'm wondering to what extent you were able to draw on your academic experience your academic credentials. You taught supply chain and logistics for all that time. Now you're really in it. So were you able to draw on that actual experience? Or when it it turned out to be in the real world of supply chain, it was a different ballgame altogether?
1: Well, you know what? That's a great question. It was indeed a different ballgame altogether. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Studying it is very different than doing it, for sure. But yeah. those years of teaching executives, MBA students, and PhD students, the number of years I've spent doing that certainly has helped to give me a wealth of knowledge and understanding that has helped us come up with these creative supply yeah. issues,
0: salt you- solutions. You got the theory, and now it's time to put it into practice in the trenches, and you seem to have combined the two pretty successfully. Yeah. I have to now ask you a question that I'm sure you've answered a thousand times, and I apologize for this, but I'm curious as to how this works. But you essentially walked away from a highly distinguished academic career to get your hands dirty into the real world of supply chain and to create this, this fantastic company, World of EPI, entertainment, publishing, and inspiration, and to create these dolls. Why? <laughs> what, what, what was the reason why you, you made that transition at, when you did?
1: <laughs> you know what? You, that was a great question. And you are right. I was very fortunate to have a career that I absolutely adored. I was the first African-American to graduate with a Ph.D. in supply mm-hmm. chain management from The Ohio State University. And yes. then I went on to become the first African-American female to get tenure at Penn State. And then ultimately, I became the highest ranking professor, be it black, yellow, pe- purple, green, male or female. So <laughs> things are going really well. I love doing supply chain research. I love talking about supply chain research. But then one day, totally out of the blue, I was watching this updated doll study. And suffice it to say, there was a beautiful little black girl on the show. And they asked her which doll she wanted to play with, the black doll or the white doll. I just knew she was going play to the, play the black doll. Mm-hmm. Well, she didn't. She said the white doll. That shocked me. But what broke my heart is when she said why. And she said she wanted to play with the with the white doll because the black doll's skin was nasty. Nasty? And then she went, yeah. Oh, that's what a, word. a word. That's a very strong word. And then, oh, it goes further. Then she touched her own hand as to indicate somehow the her skin was nasty, too. And oh that God. just broke my heart because I thought, If we have one little girl who thinks somehow that she's less than, that's Mm -hmm. a loss for her. It's a loss for her family. And it's a loss for society as a whole. And I just felt I had to do something. And so that day, the world of EPI was created. And now we went from one or two dolls with, I can't even count the number of skus that we have. And they're constantly increasing.
0: You set off on a crusade, right? (laughs) But uh, just, but it's one thing to vow, I'm going to do this. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to change perceptions for children about the acceptability of their own heritage. But then getting that off the ground. I mean, what did you do first? How did you even start? Oh, my goodness. That was a great. I, you know what? I didn't know either. <laughs> I mm-hmm. had this
1: passion and this desire to make sure that that little girl and other little girls had dolls that represented their beauty and brilliance. I went to China. I looked online. I found uh, factories. I talked to them, and literally, I flew across the ocean, (laughs) Mm -hmm. landed in Shenzhen, started meeting with factories, and the rest is history. But I really did not know how to do it. Thank goodness I did have the support of Walmart. I do want to say that, because without Mm -hmm. Walmart support in the early days, you wouldn't see the ever-increasing lines of doll collections that we have now. It truly is because of the support from Walmart.
0: Positively perfect, simply fresh. Fresh Squad Dolls Coat Collections. Well, you really did branch out pretty quickly, did you not?
1: Yes, we did. The the fans have been incredibly supportive of this line. And I think it's because people see the authenticity of what we're doing. I mean, we make sure that every sculpt is one-of-a-kind piece of art. It's unique. And it represents the ethnicity of that particular child. So we don't Mm -hmm. take one generic sculpt and simply paint it brown with a pink lip. We don't do that. We make sure that you can see the difference of the authenticity of the ethnicity within each doll's face.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because I as recall, I'm bringing up daughters myself way back when. The Barbies that were nominally black were just Barbies with tinted plastic, really. That's what it looked like. So uh, I, I could see where that would be an issue.
1: Yes, the skin and the hair. I mean, we make sure that yeah. the hair is representative. It's amazing how people are uh-huh. responding to this because we want, again, the hair. We have hair from straight to wavy to curly to braid. Every mm-hmm. type of hair texture that little children have, we represent in our
0: dolls. And you quickly moved on to designs for more adult dolls as well, older, with the bodies that would reflect that as well. So you kind of ran the whole gamut of, of, of design, did you not?
1: We did. That's a great point because I didn't expect actually adults to find us and to fall in love with the line, but yeah. they did. That was a pleasant surprise. We have mm-hmm. many adult collectors that actually love the dolls and they dress them up in unique fashions and pose them in unique, uh, and they even make soap operas <laughs> around our oh, dolls. Wow. So it's really cool to see what they do.
0: So, informing this company, What was an unpleasant surprise? Where did you hit the real obstacles or some unexpected obstacles that you hadn't necessarily prepared for and that you had to confront and deal with in getting this company on its feet?
1: It's kind of like that brilliant question you asked earlier. And when I was a professor, I taught business. I taught business students. And so I figured as an academician who had studied this, I kind of knew what to expect. But, oh, boy, it's so much different from studying it and teaching it than it is to actually doing it. So Mm -hmm. I discovered the challenges of working overseas, for example. When I went over there and I was saying, I want a truly authentic representative face, and here's what I want it to look like, I didn't think I was going to get any pushback. But I did. Because the industry at that time was so accustomed to just doing what we talked about, taking a beautiful Caucasian face and painting it brown. And here I was coming from a totally different paradigm, because I didn't know any better, right? I'm a novice at this. So I Mm -hmm. came with a paradigm of, no, 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 we're going to start from scratch and we're going to create something that's truly authentic. It took a while for them to buy into what I was proposing. Ultimately, they did. And then we came up with the line. But that was hard. Then I didn't know how expensive creating a company, a doll company in particular, even when you have a great partner like Walmart, you still have to come up with the funds to design the doll, to produce the doll to ship the doll here to the U.S., Mm -hmm. to warehouse the doll. All of that has to be prepaid before you get one invoice paid by your partner. So there was a lot of cash outlay that I did not anticipate.
0: How about ensuring that your manufacturers were following ethical standards for workers in Asia? How do you keep visibility of that? How do you make sure that they're the right suppliers that follow those guidelines? Great question.
1: Well, I actually went over, and I do still go over, well, at least (laughs) pre-pandemic. I would go over like four times a year, and I would check the factory to make sure. But again, I'm a novice when it comes to that. So we actually hire uh, independent third-party inspectors to go over and to make sure that the factory that I visited and the processes and procedures that I saw in place are indeed everyday procedures. So we do have an independent agency that makes sure that mm-hmm. the uh, ethical standards are being adhered to.
0: And they're able to continue to do that during the pandemic? Yes, absolutely. That's good. When was the last time you were there? Was it before the pandemic that we were able it to make an actual in-person?
1: Exactly. I went over there let's see, a few months before the pandemic.
0: Do you feel the need to get back at any point? I mean, in 22, do you think you're going to need to make a trip back and kind of just... Kind of survey the landscape, make sure everything's working as planned?
1: Absolutely. Our company has grown, and we actually now have an office in Asia. But mm-hmm. I still feel that I need to have boots on the ground myself, meaning my little high heels need to be over there walking that back hmm. floor to make sure that everything is going according to plan. So, yeah, yeah I do plan to get over there as soon as I can.
0: Let us review again your, your distinguished career on the academic side. As you say, first African American to receive a doctorate in logistics from the Ohio State University, first female professor to receive a multi million dollar endowed chair, first African American professor to earn tenure at Penn State University. I have to confess I have two reactions to hearing that. One is fantastic. The other is what took so long? It's kind of, I mean, really? What's your feeling about that? You entered a world in which you were the first. I mean, that must have been frustrating. You must have faced obstacles. I mean, what is that world like even today in terms of the, I'm talking now about the academic world, in terms of true diversity that would encourage others to come along and follow in your footsteps?
1: It was a shock to me when I started my doctoral program. I did not know that I was the only and the first I just, it, because you're right. I often tell people, you know, I was the first, and then I'll say, and I'm not that old.
0: <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that's it, what I mean. It, yeah, you know, we're not talking about that long, ago.
1: No, we're really not. And so you're right. There was a lot of improvement that needs to take place in the area supply chain. And now I'll tell you, as I'm now in the entrepreneurial business and the toy industry, we are the largest multicultural toy company. So there's a lot of room and improvement that can be done in the toy industry as well.
0: Quickly. I mean, what year did you found the company? Remind me.
1: me. Oh, sure. Well, I founded the company initially starting with books. And so I had a leadership Mm -hmm. book to support supply chain management, evolution and managers to grow into senior positions. So Mm -hmm. I had a leadership book first and that book was sold to Walmart and that was in 2003. And then we did a line of children's books and those were very successful that Walmart asked if I do a line of dolls in the image and likeness of the characters in the books. And so that segment weighed me over to doll, ah, even dolls. But I'll tell you, I know that's really the business side of it. But even though Walmart said they wanted me to do it, I really didn't prove myself to be right because I said no to Walmart. I absolutely said no to them. I wouldn't do it because I didn't know anything about the toy industry or doing dolls. And uh-huh. I said no, not once, but I said no three times. <laughs> it wasn't until I saw that little girl on television that I recognized the need to do it. And so that real. Yeah. So
0: yeah,
1: you had was, already,
0: it was already in your brain somewhere, the concept that you weren't going to go forward, but you had been thinking about it up to that point being, yes. being goaded into yes. it by Walmart, but finally got around to doing it. huh? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it was kind of like divine timing, right? Divine intervention. Cause I'm like, no, 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 no. But then I saw the little girl and then I like, okay, yeah. yeah,
0: this is, this is yours to do. To reach the heights that you reached on the academic side, did you have mentors? Did you have people who were your inspiration, who pushed you in that direction, who helped you along? Or did you feel rather alone in, that, in carving that path?
1: Boy, that's like a, an and question. I felt very alone in my doctoral program. But Mm -hmm. I did have support. So there was a a professor, Martha Cooper, shout out to Dr. Martha Cooper, she's listening, that was very supportive. I had an office mate that was also very supportive. Outside of those two people, and my family support, of course, Mm -hmm. outside of that, it was a pretty lonely experience.
0: How can we change that for future people who want to come along and follow your example? How can we promote true diversity in that highly traditional academic environment?
1: some things. But I think if we have programs that are specifically designed to attract and educate people about supply chain management, I mean, horrible things are happening in supply chain, the crisis we're experiencing now. But one of the good things is that people are hearing about it. So mm-hmm. awareness is part of the issue, right? If we make people more aware of supply chain management and the opportunities that exist within the field, I think that's help. And then with that education, if we go and find and identify qualified multicultural students, minority students, that's how we're gonna get this problem solved. Mm-hmm. We have to start by attracting the right students, the right candidates. The, and they're the out yeah.
0: The outreach yeah, has out. to go beyond the traditional networks. Absolutely. Uh, and that would be other types of schools other than, you know, the typical schools we're thinking about and maybe even down to the high school level. Do you think that's valuable to get Kids interested in it even earlier
1: absolutely that's exactly it. I, I serve on a supply chain board at Tuskegee University in Alabama, and that's one of the things we do is we mm-hmm. identify high schools as well as colleges and we educate and show them the value of supply chain management and the opportunities that exist within it because again, like I said with this crisis we're experiencing we're hearing more about it, but prior to that, we didn't know anything about supply chain management so In a way, this is helping to increase, again, the awareness. And now if we make some entrees, even in high school level, I think that will certainly help to increase the number of people that are interested in the field.
0: Do you personally feel a responsibility to play the role of mentor in two worlds? One is the academic world that you were so successful in. The other is the business and entrepreneurial world that you're now so successful in. Is there a responsibility that rests on your shoulders to make sure others can come up behind you? Huge responsibility. Absolutely. Huge responsibility. Are you okay with that? I mean, I would imagine sometimes you would just sort of say, oh, my God, I've got so much to do already. But you've got to look to that as well.
1: I do. I often say to people that if on my last, on my deathbed, if I just look back and say, oh, I created a successful company and that's great, then I will have led a very unsuccessful life. It is important that I reach down and support other people, reach beside me, I should say, not so much down, reach beside me and support the next generation. My role is to inspire them, uplift them, and give them an example, not only what they can do, but how they can do it. I want them to understand that you can do business in an ethical format and grow and expand. And sometimes we don't see that. So showing them an example and inspiring them is Key. And you're right, and I do it in both arenas, both in the academician or academic field as well as an entrepreneurial area.
0: I'm exhausted just hearing about your life. In a way, I mean, all the different things <laughs> that you must have on your plate. But I think you, it sounds like an interesting. It's a world you chose for yourself, I guess.
1: <laughs> Correct. Uh, I,
0: yeah. I think yeah. There's
1: something wrong with me. I, sometimes I think why can't you just relax? It's like, no, I can't relax. There's something else to do. There's another opportunity or some other gifts you can give to the world. So I'm yeah. always wanting to be of service. And I was a service as an educator and then as a researcher and now as an entrepreneur and hopefully providing dolls that inspire and uplift. And then ultimately showing people that regardless of what business you go in, you can be successful and you don't have to feel limited because you don't have finances, because you don't have the experience And because you don't have the mentoring or the connections, none of that has held me back from achieving the development and the growth of this company. And I want others to know that they can do it, too.
0: But to be coldly realistic, you have ways to go before ensuring any true level of diversity in either of the worlds that you're in. Correct? Very true. There's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done. And that must be frustrating at times to see that the old boy network still persists to some degree.
1: To see the lack of diversity, I attend many, many, many meetings in this area, and it's disappointing to see that it's only me or my team that has the diversity. In the room, there's no other point of diversity. So that's another area that I feel is my responsibility is to make sure that there is some inclusion in the room.
0: So what is 2022 for you? what are you going to do this year? (laughs) I mean, how does the business world look and and what additional plans might you have going forward?
1: We have several new plans. We are uh, expanding our lines into three different categories. So we're super excited about that. And there's some things I can't specifically talk about yet because I'm under an NDA, but we are starting to do some really cool things in the entertainment industry. So we're super excited about that too.
0: You are the author of multiple books, as I understand it. Let me just mention one. Leading beyond excellence, learn seven practical and spiritual steps to spiral yourself to the top. I will link to that particular book in the show notes. So I appreciate knowing about that. And also, Dr. Lisa Williams, I very much appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about your experience, your successful career, and the possibility that others may follow in your footsteps, and you may serve as a shining example to them as well in supply chain, in academia, and in the business world. Thank you so much for being with me today. You
1: are so kind. It has truly been my honor. Thank you for having me.
0: That was my conversation with entrepreneur, academic, and industry thought leader, Dr. Lisa Williams. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter at scbrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel.